All right, guys, what's up? Today we are here with Sarah Eisenhart, a.k.a. Sis, and she has been a part of the gym since the very beginning. She started in the garage with us. She was one of our guinea pigs. Her and Zach were some of the first people to really join our community and help us start actually creating a community. She's a pretty amazing person at the time. She was in undergrad at Ohio University. She has since gone on and finished uh, medical school, so she is now Dr. Sarah Eisenhart, and we have started to have some interesting conversations between her and I, and she's really fitting into that young, eyes wide open doctor who sees the world in front of her and sees a lot of problems and wants to go and make an amazing impact and an amazing change. During medical school, she's faced some struggles and she communicated some of those with us. And so we talk about that a little bit and get into what her schedule is going to be like going forward. And I think this is a great one for people to listen to because she's a young woman and she's facing a difficult schedule that she is imposing on herself to do something great and advance her education, advance her career, and is still going to try to make it into the gym because she knows that that's her happy place and it does a lot for her mentally and physically and i thought this interview went really really well i hope you guys enjoy it thanks all right guys hey what's up we are here with sarah eisenhart is it sarah christman eisenhart or did you keep your middle name uh, i kept my middle name okay so what is it fully now sarah lynn eisenhart sarah lynn eisenhart all right so we're gonna talk today a little bit this is our coffee chats even though she has decided to drink an o2 and a LaCroix, and she brought her own to the interview today while I am drinking coffee. So go ahead, Sarah, introduce yourself to the community. Uh, so my name is Sarah Eisenhart, formerly Sarah Christman. Um, I am a newly graduated doctor. So we have to call you Dr. Sarah Eisenhart. Dr. Sarah Eisenhart. Perfect. Um, a little bit about me, I am Grant's little sister. He is actually who got me into CrossFit. I remember him coming down for Sibs weekend and trying to explain that I could do fitness anywhere, not just the gym, between curb jumping and jumping on benches and doing burpees in the middle of the campus. I thought he was a little crazy. Yeah. Things just kind of progressed from there with the swizzle sticks. Oh yeah, for sure. I got my first introduction to swizzle sticks. He taught me how to row. Yeah. I don't know if that ever stuck until we actually stepped foot into friendship nice. where uh, it could have it was probably two years after the visit to OU that friendship came to I remember coming to a demo with Jeff and Jay I think Squeebs was there yep. uh, I was freshly out of a wisdom tooth extraction <laughs> chipmunk cheek and all thinking these guys are absolutely insane yep. But in supportive family, you have to you have to dive in and give it a try. Yeah, so most people don't know that Swizzle Sticks is our garage gym. It's what we named it. And it actually started at OU. That Swizzle Sticks joke started at homecoming weekend when Jay and Tom and I had like this series of adventures at homecoming that led us to uh, like Jay's little cousin's house and it's like a really long story but uh, we ended up like staying all night in like laughing fits and uh, that kind of bred the name of Swizzlesticks. so anyway so that's our garage gym for those of you guys who didn't know so go on 
OU homecoming is an interesting It is, experience. yeah. So Sibs weekend is kind of where this started. I love it. Have you gone back? So you just went back to OU for graduation. I did. Right? And then uh, do you guys go back for, like, homecoming, Sibs weekend, some of that, like, classic stuff? So we have not had the opportunity to go back to homecoming since we graduated down okay. there in 13. Um, we have gone down quite a bit. It's never a big weekend just because it's – a lot more pleasant without all the people there. Yeah, for sure. We like to hang out on the patio of Jackio's. Yeah. We're regulars there, embarrassingly still to this day. Um, so and yeah, you guys are like unapologetically OU through and through. And by <laughs> you guys, you got to introduce Zach. So Zach is, Zach Master uh, is my husband. He has stuck with me for almost 11 years. Yeah, I was going to say, which you guys is go way back. Insanely impressive that he's put up with me all this time. <laughs> Uh, so you got to give a shout out to him for that. He is a patient man. I'll say that. Insanely patient. Yeah, man. it's like almost like <laughs> slightly annoying how easygoing he is sometimes. It, it is very annoying because yeah. you know sometimes you just need things to you want some action and him to want to do things and he's like ah <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll get it done. But I feel like when you started dating Zach, he was still hippie Zach, so you could have oh, seen that coming. So. so he's like Long hair, don't care. Tie dye, yeah. burns. Yep, yeah, the burns. He still gets the burns like a little long sometimes. I'm like, KZ, I'm not sure about those burns, man. <laughs> um, I love it. That's great. Uh, so, OU, okay, so you went to undergrad there. Mm-hmm. And then did was the medical school open when you graduated? It would have been like relatively newer up here in Dublin, right? So the OU, the OU medical school has been open since the late 90s Okay. Oh. on Athens campus. Okay. And I would say, honestly, I had no idea it existed the yep. entire time I was down there. Yeah. I did not find out about their medical school until I moved back to Columbus and was doing my medical school search when I discovered that they were actually opening a school in Dublin. Oh, wow. So this was the first extension of their main campus, and Dublin was the site they chose. Nice. Yeah, that's so cool. And that's, for those of you guys who don't know, we've had now maybe five or uh, six people that have come through. And it started with Nasa, who probably, was she like the first full class that went through? She, so she was still Athens campus. Okay. Um, so she was actually one of the last classes that did not have a branch campus. Oh, okay, cool. And she was there this weekend for your graduation. Tell me what uh, your guys' relationship was for graduation, just kind of how that came about. Uh, so Nasa and I really developed a relationship at Friendship before she moved to Athens for medical school. There was about a year overlap between her first year of medical school and my last year of undergrad. We spent quite a bit of time together. She really mentored me through the MCAT, how to apply, where to apply. And so when I was accepted to the Dublin campus, she was dubbed my comrade or medical mentor. Cool. And so that relationship just kind of continued on throughout medical school. I would say the first two years after my second year, she moved to uh, Cleveland area. And we kind of fizzled out a little bit. But when it came time for graduation, we had to pick a mentor, and it was it was almost exciting to think about the fact that Nasa would dub me into doctorhood. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. So we were at um, Justin and Hannah's wedding, mm-hmm. and uh, and Nasa has like a, a table spot 
And we're like, oh my god, what did she like flake on us? What's going on? And and then it's just like, ah, you know, that's if you guys know Nasa, it's kind of like you know she's kind of like a fly by the seat of her pants, a, a free soul oh, of sorts. And so we're kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah, that could be Nasa. Um, and then sure enough, she comes like rolling in like right when the party gets started, and uh, and we're like, what are you doing? She's like, I've been down to know you. I'm like running all over today, and I had to uh, I hooded Sarah today. Um, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And she got to meet JC and uh, have some conversations with kind of some uh, some of the current friendship group. So I thought that was awesome. Um, cool. So now you're a doctor, right? But you are a DO, yes. right? Not an MD, which yeah. this was something that was new to me when we started getting some of these students in and they kept telling me that they were in an osteopathic medicine uh, uh, program, mm -hmm. right? And they were going to be DOs. And I just was like, um, you know, osteopathic, I thought was like, sort of like, you know, you'd say like, an anesthesiologist, or I thought it was just like a specific right. type of a doctor. Specialty of yep, sorry. exactly. Not actually um, kind of a, a replacement, maybe for a D, uh, an MD. Yeah. Um, so if you could just talk real quick, just about kind of like what osteopathic medicine is and what the DO designation kind of means. Sure. So I would say let's start back to uh, the beginning of osteopathy. Uh, A.T. Still is the founder of osteopathy. He was actually MD trained. Oh, cool. And so what he found throughout his training was something was missing. There, it, it was at the beginning of, we've got all these medicines, we can just fix things with medicine. Yeah. And he truly felt that that was inappropriate. His, uh, I have a book that Zach got me for graduation, and it's The Philosophy of Osteopathy. And one of the first quotes in it is, the object of a good physician is not to find disease it's to find health yeah and you had co you'd uh, he put that on like a poster or something for it's, you too or he, yeah so he yeah. framed my white coat from yeah. medical school and that is the quote on it yeah it's a great quote it so. is it really is and it really embodies where medicine needs to go yeah uh, especially at this time in medicine where it's we're all kind of lost we're in a, a wave of chronic disease as glassman would say and uh, it really embodies the fact that we are innately healthy and we just need to allow our bodies to continue to find health. And so the idea of osteopathy is that we are innately healthy. And there are different techniques, manipulatively, um, manual medicine that can help our body realign to its baseline. Yep. Um, so if you suffer from chronic headaches, the question would be, are the sinus veins in your brain not draining well and causing pressure yep. there are techniques to release those and they've been shown statistically to improve chronic migraines yeah uh, similarly with any muscular almost any musculoskeletal complaint there is a manipulative technique that allows uh, the body to kind of heal itself and not necessarily rely on you know ibuprofen motrin vicodin or any chronic like Yep. Going up, going up the chain. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about it is it's letting the body do the healing work first, yeah. and then if that doesn't kind of catch any, you know, if that doesn't catch tread, like if it's not right. going anywhere, then you can always back always up and go back, back to the prescription us. drugs. Right. But Very cool. a, a healthy individual should be able to heal themselves of almost anything if you allow the body to do so. Yeah, I think that's so cool. I think the uh, as soon as I kind of found out about this, I started to be more and more excited to talk to the students mm -hmm. about it. And just because I think that 
inherently i think we as humans kind of agree with that like i think we know that that's right which Mm -hmm. is so like unsettling to me that kind of like we've let it go down this path just slowly but steadily and kind of you know let the pharmaceutical industry or advertising or whatever it might be just kind of like nah you know you do kind of need these and like you know here's a happy guy on a yard and like it's like sort of creepy but he's not depressed and so like you could try this drug and maybe you do that and it's like and then now we are kind of where we are today but as soon as I started talking to the students there Number one, I love talking to students, especially medical students, because I feel like you guys are still idealistic, right? Mm -hmm. You guys still have that passion. You still really want to help people. It's fresh in your brain. You're learning all these new and exciting things, and then you want to try them, and you want to put them into practice and kind of see how they go. So what was like when you started first kind of training? I know I've seen you you know, push and prod on Jenny a little bit and probably some other people around the gym. Uh, What was some of like your favorite things in terms of like you were learning these things and then you're able to just try them and put them into action? What did you find that was like just super interesting to you? And then did that uh, maybe sway your decision for where you want to go next? Sure. So the, the most fun part about osteopathic education is the manipulative course. Uh, you can get a little jaded at the end of second year you're studying for boards why am I doing this this is a waste of my time yeah it absolutely is not yeah Um, and so it's really exciting to you know put your hand on someone's back and you know feel the blood flow through it or feel the muscle tension you can feel the difference between someone who has chronic back pain versus acute back pain and so it's really interesting to it was really exciting to start to feel things with your hands that you would never think you could feel and so as you develop those techniques we started to learn specific maneuvers for uh, say your hips were out of line we can realign those and it was really interesting for me I have had for as long as I can remember shoulder problems yeah. it resulted in a chronic upper back pain chronic headaches and it was probably three months in where I started to realize I don't have that pain at all anymore. Yeah. And it was because I was consistently in a lab getting manipulative medicine yeah. and having my friends, you know, quote unquote, play around with yeah. their techniques. And so it was really exciting when Jenny asked me, you know, will you take a look at this? Uh, you know, she's putting her trust in someone who doesn't have perfect skills or, or completely finish their manipulative training. Uh, especially at the height of her career, I believe that was the year you guys were preparing to go to regionals as yep. a team. And so that was a very uh, exciting time and almost stressful because it was kind of like, all right, Sarah, it's time. Yeah, don't, don't fuck her up. <laughs> don't mess this up. Well, and then lo and behold, we actually get to see inside of her shoulder and there were quite a lot of problems and some other things that were probably to, leading to back To stones. be fair, yeah. I was working exclusively on her hips. The, yeah. the hip region the sacrum that is hands down my favorite joint to treat i find that everything is really attached there if you have back problems it could be there knee foot ankle problems i really think you should start at the hips yeah yeah i think that's super interesting well and i think for you know jenny i think it's interesting to put her you know trust in you know a newer doctor and not to speak for jenny too much but you know i know that she values you know, somebody who has a passion, who somebody who's really interested in something and she wants to kind of be able to talk and work through the problem with you mm-hmm. and feel like there's an actual, feel like there's an investment on your end, right? right? So my guess is probably like 
she wanted you to work on her because she knew that you knew that she was competing for something serious. And if she would go into, you know, one of her normal doctor's offices, they might not understand that, like, look, I have to keep training. Like we have this competition coming up. There's, there's, you know, something on the line here. Right. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, for her, that changes the trust relationship a little bit. So she's not going to obsess over the title, which I think is something that's super interesting for patients a lot of time. And this is something that I've started to really ask people is, I think that patients generally, or generally just Americans, don't even really understand how many doctor titles there are, the different types of doctors, and yet they almost implicitly trust just the title itself. And so, um, so kind of, what do you think is one of the, the bigger paths for us to maybe change how we view our, our trust relationships with doctors and maybe look more towards something that like is finding a doctor who maybe is going to invest in you as a, a person or maybe be able to kind of change that. Right. And so Jenny did mention something when I was working with her in that she preferred that I was a student because I was still passionate about it. I was actively learning and it was something I was interested in. And I think that's something that you need to look for as in a physician, not just a medical doctor, a chiropractor, a physical therapist, someone who is continuing to learn, someone who wants to be better, someone who isn't complacent with where they are and their knowledge base. Uh, Complacency is a scary thing in the medical field. And if you see that in your physician, you've got to run the other way. Yeah. Uh, And I I think that that's just, that's a huge metaphor, I think, for life generally is, you know, you just, whatever your profession is, you should always be striving to move forward. You should Mm -hmm. always be trying to educate yourself. And I think with medicine, you know, there's a big part of doctors who are quote unquote on their way out. Right. And, you know, they're nearing retirement and they're cramming patients in and, you know, trying to get to almost like a financial number or a figure before they sell their practice off to the next person, the person that's kind of up and coming. And, you know, I saw this kind of with, with my physician as I was kind of leaving the army was this guy was in the military. It's like an upfront talked about thing, you know, when you're going to retire, I've got my 30, I've got, you know, right. and you just hear these terms all over the place. And I'll never forget. My doctor told me within like the first 10 minutes of meeting him that he was about to retire. And it was sort of just this like, yeah, I'll humor you and, you know, we can deal with this. But, like, just so you know, like, I'm leaving in a month or so. And so, you know, I don't whatever. really care how yeah. things go. Well, and so it's one of those things that's so, uh, so broken in the military. And this kind of started me down, uh, I think, the path that, that I've been on, right, mm-hmm. for health and fitness. And then now taking it into, like, you know, kind of looking through some of the medical community and, and trying to make some more educated decisions with who I choose to go to, who I choose to, you know, work with. But the military is like the extreme of broken, right? Um, And so one of the big issues that we see is the overprescription there. It's like there's no copay, there's no nothing. So legitimately, you get handed a slip and the doctor enters it into the computer and it like auto fills down to the um, pharmacy, which is usually just like downstairs base level. And then it's literally just this gigantic drive-through window of like just these old guys, veterans, retired people 
just rolling through. Now, granted, I was at Walter Reed, so it's like like the hospital for the right. military, but um, it was staggering for me to see. I had laser eye surgery, and I got two months worth of Percocets. And I was just like, I had one, and it really upset my stomach, and yeah. like did not work for me at all. And I just threw them away. And when I threw them away, I started to get like knocks on my door and people starting to say like, Hey, I heard that you weren't going to use some of your Percocets. Can I buy those from you? And it was just like, I started to get into this world that like I was totally oblivious to. Yeah. And it was really eye opening to me. And like some of these people were like my friends who I didn't know, like had this problem. Right. And this kind of started down the path of being a little having my eyes opened a little bit more to the what the kind of opioid addiction looks like and how for military and veterans how that slippery slope kind of starts and I think it starts with over prescription absolutely and it's it's one of those things and you can probably speak more to prescriptions and over prescriptions generally but take just a second talk a little bit through like like what are opioids that get prescribed commonly? Okay. And then what does that look like in terms of refilling prescriptions? How easy is it to get some of those things? Sure. So things are changing quickly as far as opioids go. So the, the end-all be-all of opioids is the morphine molecule. Um, and then you, you can get down into oxycodone. That's your oxys that mm-hmm. people talk about. And then your Percocet and Vicodin are very similar to the oxycodone, but with an addition of Tylenol. Okay. Um, a little less in strength, not as strong, but still pretty potent, still yep. extremely addictive. And so this all really started with a, a pharmacy company who produced oxycodone who was really interested in selling their product. They had one study of 20 people it was 20 to 40 people, which is a comical yeah, it's not really a in number. Um, and they showed that there was no addiction with the use of their drug. And they did not follow up. They didn't do a prolonged study. It was less than a month. And oh, wow. uh, anyone who has been prescribed, most of us have had our wisdom teeth taken out. We have gotten some narcotic for that, I, myself included. It doesn't take long to get addicted, but if you're only looking at it on the short term, it's easy to miss that. Yeah. Um, And so it it was this wave of, well, it's not addictive, and everyone, pain is the fifth vital sign, and we should be treating pain, or we're not doing our job. And I think that's really where this problem started. And it was, uh, I'm reading a very interesting book about it, actually, called Dreamland, and it's it's eye-opening to see how quickly things went south with it uh, and the, the development of pill mills. And so, so now we're at a point where we realize that we've caused this problem and we are a part of it. And so it's not necessarily as easy. I, I do not work in the military uh, facilities. I've never been to the VA, but I do know that pills are handed out pretty quickly there. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we care about our veterans. We don't want them to be in pain. And to be frank, they're overloaded. The yeah. doctors have too many patients, yeah. not enough time, and it's easier to give someone their prescription than to actually manage the problem yeah, psychologically. Yeah, it's like magnifying the normal societal problems. Yes. It's like there's not enough money. Doctors are on like a base pay that doesn't work for too many patients, and then right. it's like they are really cramming people through. Right. 
I, so I spent a ton of time in Ohio Health uh, over the past two years, and they have really developed what I think is an ideal protocol. They require random drug screens if you are, should you need a narcotic regularly. Yeah. You know? um, I do not think arthritis is a reason to have a narcotic. There yeah. are very few indications uh, that I think are appropriate, and cancer is one of them. Um, but the protocol is that you have to submit to random drug screens. Not only are they making sure that you're not taking other drugs, but they're actually making sure that you have the metabolites of the narcotic in you. Yeah. So are you getting this prescription and then selling it? Yeah. And it was a very eye-opening experience for me. I was at a doctor who I felt he handed out narcotics like candy. Yeah. And he had this patient and he was like, he told me that this was going to be very serious. He was taking her off of them and um, firing her as a patient. And she and I, I looked at the the drug screen and it said amphetamines and I, I told the doctor I was like but she's on Adderall how can you, you know, fault her for that and he goes no and he goes into the room and the first thing he says is why haven't you been taking these pills you had an exponential value of the very first metabolite right before the drug test which means she went in took like twenty pills before she took her drug test oh wow to kind of show oh I am taking that yeah uh, and. In the way they test it, you can see all the metabolites. Yeah. And so it was very obvious to him that she was not taking them. She was selling them. Yeah. She was in increasing pain, needed more, needed a bigger dose. Yeah. And so it was just, uh, I, there is no great way to handle narcotics, but I do think the, the way Ohio Health has moved into drug testing and kind of making sure what's being taken yeah. is there. Um, that's really the best way we have right now. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think the more I talk to doctors in the medical community, because a lot of the books that I've read are taking a, you know, it's the healthcare system, it's the doctor's problem, it's mm-hmm. it's this and this, right? Uh, and then when you talk to the doctors, it's awesome. I really enjoy it because I think you get a lot of patient stories of this is why it started to go down this way and this is mm-hmm. how we started to get down this path. Uh, but in a conversation with Ed, he started talking a little bit about um, ways that some of these companies get around getting their drugs you know, approved by the FDA or mm-hmm. some of these different studies that they'll manipulate the oh, studies absolutely. because they've run the risk reward of it. And yeah. it's like, okay, we're going to get fined $550 million for falsifying this study but the drug's gonna make us 10 billion over five years. And so it's like a calculated risk, basically. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's so crazy to me, and it's like if you own stock in these companies, like sure, they're doing what's best for the shareholder. And there's this um, interview with a congressman up in Cleveland who's really trying to work on subsidizing local farmers and getting back to like real food and changing some of that, the landscape of you know, wheat and corn mm-hmm. and, you know, mass meat kind of farms and mills uh, that are kind of, you know, really hurting American society's health. And literally it's on like, he's on like Bloomberg doing this interview and yeah. literally the woman looks at him and goes like, yeah, but won't this like be terrible for the shareholders price? And you're just like, yeah, but I'm telling you this is killing people. Like right. if there's no shareholders who gives a shit, it's like there's this like constant kind of battle now and it's like kind of this one major dark end of capitalism is 
people have figured out a way and you talk about that study it's like maybe not falsified but clearly emitting something that we sure. know to be fact right. um, that they are addictive and now you start to get these it's almost like you're inviting people to get addicted to them because we know that there's some degree of value in that. And it's like, and so now I think that's where the real danger falls in. And this is the thing that's like inherently maddening to me when people talk about how do we fix the opioid crisis? And I'm not sure if it's like this news talking point um, because they, you know, 24 hour news cycles just don't have anything else to talk about. And it's something (laughs) that's very polarizing now. Right. But I think it all starts here, right? If, if we don't, realistically view the fact that we as uh you know as a community of of patients are addicted to painkillers and are actually needing and wanting and craving and bending what we tell doctors to get them Mm -hmm. and then on the back end of that doctors are still prescribing them and they're you know helping these major companies, these Johnson and Johnson's and Merck's and yep, exactly. They're, they're helping these companies become fortune 50 companies, you know, a hundred billion dollars a year in profit. Um, you know, we are causing these issues all inside of kind of that system. And I think the, the most maddening thing for me from going back to kind of that veterans aspect is it's like, you see a lot of overdoses, you see a lot of heroin, you see a lot of these problems. And it's just like, somewhere along the lines we need to be able to trace some of those things back and really figure out a better way for us to like wean people off of these and i don't know anything about weaning people off i don't know if that's like a plan or a practice or if you can even do that sure yeah you you absolutely can the we all hear about heroin addicts and they can't stop it because they get sick yeah well if you titrate down a dose you know you're on this number this week and we're going to go down 10 percent and 10 percent and that's what we do in the hospital yeah there are a lot of reasons if a patient's in the icu they're on narcotics and you very gradually titrate them that titrate them down they don't have the addiction or withdrawal symptoms and they move on with their lives but i think the inherent problem is something our country's not willing to talk about and it's the mental health aspect yeah the addiction is a mental health disorder it is in the dsm-5 and unless we're willing to acknowledge that as a problem and as a society put the money in to rehab rehabilitation and yeah. understanding why you became addicted we're never going to fix the problem yeah yeah and that's a, one of the scarier situations for me is um when maria got her wisdom teeth out mm-hmm. you know i'm not sure what they gave her i think oxycodone um but um no what no, they gave no they absolutely oh they did, did. They yeah okay and uh <laughs> And just in the short stint, so she had she had a pretty tough wisdom teeth pull. I mean, she had a lot of pain. Very mm-hmm. different from me. Mine, I was like back to work the next day. I felt wow. fine. I didn't take any painkillers. Yeah. Um, hers were much deeper. They required a little bit more surgery. They had to break them up and all these different things. But um, but she had some some painkillers and and I had to throw them away. I mean, legitimately, it kind of got to the point where yeah. it was like she was getting a little bit more aggressive towards me, getting a little bit more like I need them. I, like what, how many more should I take? And yeah. um, it was just kind of like, you know, we were 10 days past the surgery. Like the swelling was kind of down and like kind of got to that point where I was just like, let's just make, let's just make the decision on this and right. move on. And 
like I understand you're going to be in pain and it's hard for a loved one but like I, at the back of my mind I'm very acutely aware of all of this right and like as soon as you start to see it it's like okay we're we're cutting that off right, right. away what um, are we going to do and it and it's scary because uh, you know people think that they shouldn't be in pain yeah and that's a it's going to happen i yeah. mean it's an aspect of life you're going to experience pain and it's not a physician's job to completely relieve that. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's huge because, yeah, it's like a lot of times what you're getting pain from is your body's natural reaction to something bad that's happening. It's yeah. like you have inflammation in your knee, mm-hmm. right? And it's swelling up like a grapefruit every time you go and run five miles. It's like, okay, let's take a peek at that, right? <laughs> If you go to a doctor and you start to get anti-inflammatories and you ice it a ton and you do all these things to take the inflammation down, it's like you're taking your body's natural response to mm-hmm. healing the damage that you just did to your knee from probably running with bad mechanics or running too much too often. And it's actively trying to slow you down so you don't do that. Right. And that's the pain response that you're getting so that you won't keep running. Right. And then every action we take is so that we can keep running. And it's like we're going to do all these things to artificially take the inflammation down. Right. And then we're going to go back out and do the thing that's causing the inflammation. It's like it's batshit fucking crazy. Right. But that's what it is. It's, it's these people who have these slight degrees of pain are like, oh, that's not normal. I shouldn't be having that. Right. And what can we do? And what I think one of the most interesting things now, and I haven't done much research on this, but I've just kind of started to dive into it, is this concept of people like understanding that people have different pain tolerance levels Mm -hmm. and like this concept of almost like inventing pain, like where you basically there's literally nothing wrong with you. And these people like almost convince themselves that they have like this pain or this problem that needs fixing. So I don't know. There is actually a disease. There is a name for that. Yeah. Uh, It's insanely more common in females and it's called fibromyalgia. Yeah. It is pain that no one can prove is there. Yeah. And, you know, patients will talk about it. They will complain. They will cry. They're in this excruciating pain. And you have no medical reason for there to be pain. Yeah. And they'll get pain medicine for it yeah it's crazy to think about that but it's like if you actually think about how powerful the mind is in connection Mm -hmm. with the body um you really almost can convince yourself of of kind of anything all right so let's switch gears now let's kind of talk about where you're gonna go now that you're graduated what are your next steps so next i will do a three-year residency at mount carmel west soon to be transferred to grove city okay uh, and I will be training in internal medicine, nice. so all hospital-based medicine. Very cool. Is there, uh, is that going to be like ER related, or like what is that going to entail inside of the hospital? So what that entails is, say you come into the ER, you will encounter an emergency room physician. They will decide, are you sick enough to be admitted to our hospital, or do you need to go see your primary care doc? Uh, if you are dubbed sick enough to be admitted to the hospital, you will be admitted to me. Okay. And I will take care of you while you're there and kind of troubleshoot what's going on. Okay, perfect. And then um, 
as you kind of start down this path, so you're going to be in Grove City, it sounds like, eventually. Yeah. Um, where do you feel? And you guys just bought a house, we right? Did. Congratulations. A family house, right? We did. We bought my grandmother's house. Awesome. Very, very cool. So is that still on, was that Weatherstone? Yep. Awesome. Um, and so, um, so that's decently, that's a drive, right? Yep. I mean, you're going to have probably 20, 25 minutes down 270. I, I timed it the other day. It's about 30. Okay. So about 30 minutes. Um, and obviously, you know, I've had a cousin inside a residency, been around some people. Mm-hmm. It's time consuming. Um, so how do you feel like with the drive, with the time that you're going to be going into, um, are you still going to try to do crossfit? Are you still going to try to exercise and kind of, what do you think that's going to look like? Uh, so that's a very interesting comment or question. So it's something Zach and I have talked about very recently. Uh, I had a big transition of life between second and third year mm-hmm. of medical school. I went from... I had complete control of my time. Uh, very similar to right now, the past three months, I have no real obligations. Yep. I have complete control of my time. And I started third year and shit hit the fan. For lack of better words, I was at work 7 a.m. to sometimes 6 or 7 p.m. And uh, what was important to me started to dissipate and I really let things go. Uh, I actually suspended my membership at Friendship mm-hmm. because I just was not going yeah and financially it wasn't reasonable to maintain that and just not show up yep and uh, it was a really it was a trying time in my life uh, my I felt like I was depressed anxiety was out off the wall and I just wasn't in control and so this is something Zach and I have talked about very recently how am I going to move forward uh, for almost the exact same scenario I'm going from all the free time in the world to I will be working 12 and 15 hour days almost every other day and weekends and 12 days straight, 15 days straight. And for me, it is important to maintain the the happiness I have found again while at Friendship. Friendship is a quote unquote my happy place. You know, I come in and everything that has gone wrong that day is over because now I get to focus on me and I get to do this workout with my friends. and. It's something that is important to me that I maintain um, for my patients because if I'm not happy with myself and where I'm at, I'm not going to be able to provide them the care they need. Yeah, and I think that that's um, first of all, obviously, that's awesome. Like, I love to be able to to you know have a place that I get to work every day. That's like that place for people. Right. Um, but I also think that number one, you coming back and seeing you and Zach back in the community. You guys are such staples. You guys created the community in that way. There's like a bulk of, you know, 30 to 40 initial people Mm -hmm. who started with us at Fiesta have continued on. Some of them have stayed, some of them have gone, but they became the backbone of that supportive community. And when you kind of start talking about it being your happy place, like you smiled and it's just kind of like that smile that you greet people with that you bring into class that is it's such an infectious thing and that's made it kind of what it is um and so thank you for for being that uh being that person and being um you know sis and the person who kind of i can always rely on to send somebody to and make sure that they're gonna have a good experience they're gonna have a great time they're gonna smile they're gonna laugh they're gonna have some fun and um you know and i know that this is sarah's happy place so she can you know, help make this somebody else's happy right. place. So that's that's huge. Um, but just like you said, this is one of the conversations that I have a lot of the times with students. I actually had it yesterday with Alex Rayfield. Um, is you have to understand that 
when you're a student, you have the opportunity to start to set some habits. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's very common because with testing and boards and all these different things that a lot of our grad students have to take on, it gives you this variable time thing that sits and lingers and hovers over top of you. And you're going to have nightmares about, literally, you will have nightmares about it for years to come. It just lingers over you. It's like, oh my God, I've got this test and I'm not prepared for it. Right. And, and it sits there and it kind of creates this like dark cloud over you. And, uh, and what we start to find is that becomes a little bit overwhelming because it's kind of this thing that's always there. You know you can always do a little more work for it. But what I think that that's such a great life teacher because it is such an analogy to when you become a real professional, a, a doctor, a firefighter, whatever it is, you always should still feel like I have this thing lingering over me. And what that thing is is continuing education, right? Right. I have something that I can constantly be doing, be working on, right? And what I see a lot of students do is they they take the time off or I see a lot of professionals will, they get out of school and they get into their job and they think like, oh, cool, like I can relax now. Like, I don't, I don't ever don't, have to study. Yep, I don't ever need to do any of that stuff again and it's just behind me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, okay, well, that's a little bit of a failure mindset And what I want you to kind of think about, and this is what I would like consult on students for is, what I want you to think about is set up the habits now that allow you to exercise, Mm -hmm. study a little bit, and then go about your day. And it's kind of like putting the first things first. And I think that that's a good way to think about it is, you know, let's say you're a student and I get it. Students like to sleep. Like we all like to sleep, right? But students really like to sleep. Uh, but it's like, you know, you wake up, you do the 530 AM, you study for, you know, boards and stuff for an hour afterwards. And then you go through your day. You're going to be so much more prepared and you're also going to have more energy and more happiness and more positivity, more stress release than any of your, your, you know, other students. Right. And I was telling this to, to Cole the other day. It's like, man, if you can make it through medical school, and you can come out of it a little bit more fit, happy and positive, and with a low degree of stress. Mm-hmm. Studies have shown you are far above your peers already, right? If you set those habits in place and your first five years of practice, you continue to be more in shape and you keep a high quality of mental health, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you know that like 70% of your peers are gonna have obesity issues or mental health problems or all these different things it's the same studies as law students and they this is like the first day of law school as they tell you like (laughs) hey on average 40 percent of you are going to have mental stress disorders by the end of the first year that's going to go to like 60 percent by the end of your time at law school um and i'm sure it's no different if not significantly worse for medical school students and then residents right um But I think this is the big thing that is really, really difficult to understand. And this is what I sort of started to lose sight of when I was at the tomb. Once you start to get into this super busy schedule, it got really hard for me to exercise. And that's where CrossFit came in. That's why I started CrossFit is I started to like Google 20 minute workouts, like 15 minute body weight workouts. And I found Cindy. And I literally did Cindy like three days a week, just <laughs> ad nauseum, which if you guys have ever done Cindy, it's like the most boring workout ever. It's a terrible workout. It's awful. But um, <laughs> I wish I would have like found Murph or other things at the time uh, just for to break up the monotony. But um, 
but that did a lot for me right. and it did a lot for my mental health. And then I think the biggest thing is it did a lot for my body and for my mind. Um, and it's kind of counterintuitive because the tomb's very physically demanding, much like I'm sure residency is also. Right. And you kind of think in your head, like, I'm so tired, I just want sleep. But I think that energy is one of those things that can be trained mm -hmm. just like anything else. And when people feel like they need more energy, I feel like exercise is a much better substitute to sleep. Obviously, there are times where it's not. But right. um, but if you're trying to increase your energy levels, I think that exercise is one of those things that's like, it's going to take you to that next level. And it's going to allow you to be more aware, you know, have lower stress levels, be able right. to hang, handle some of those problems more. So I think that that'll be something that, um, you know, hopefully myself and the community listening can help kind of help you with. Absolutely. And then maybe you can be a part of the BCOD. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I have thought about that. Yep. But in order for that to work, the BCOD needs to move to 4.30. 4.30. Wow. Okay. So you and Cash are now, there's two of you <laughs> who want to move to 4.30 a.m. So my on-running... Um, my deal with cash uh -huh. is we will start a 4:30 class when he gets his level one and starts teaching it every day, five days a week. Um, <laughs> until then we're not going to do it. So cash, I'll be there. Yeah. Cash, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got two now cash. That's pretty good. He's going to be really excited. Um, yeah, that's cool. So, um, so what will your, do you know your normal schedule? What will it look like? I do. So, uh, I actually got my schedule and the, the remark my program director made when he gave it to me was, oh shit, you are just impatient and in the ICU from July to March. Yeah. And a lot of my classmates who are also interns, which internship is your first year of residency, okay. notoriously the worst year of your life as yep. a physician, um, they have some elective month weeded in there somewhere. And I go straight through. And oh, then wow. I start my electives after March. Uh, and his, his initial response to that was, oh shit. And mine was, Oh shit! Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, this is exactly where I want to be. This is what I want to do. Um, but I know that I'm not going to be happy going there every day if I can't work out. Yeah. And so we have at our house that we are renovating slowly, very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Zach. Very slowly. Um, we have a squat rack. Thank you to Grant and Kristen. Yeah. We have plates. We have rings. We have a pull-up bar, and Really, even if it's five minutes, yep. that's all I need. Yep. Um, but the, so the schedule in that inpatient time period, I am there. My my arrival time is six thirty. Uh, it's thirty minutes away. Yeah. So I have to leave by six. Yeah. At the latest, um, if I'm on call that day, I'm there till five thirty. <clears throat> if I'm long call, I'm there till nine. Yeah. Uh, and you go back the next day at 6.30. Yeah. Some days, about two days a week, you do get off around three. Yeah. But usually if your Food patient, prep days. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yep. But if your patients are sick, you're not leaving. Yeah. Um, so it really it really depends on your patients, your caseload that day. Um, but it, it is about capitalizing the time you have. Yeah. Uh, food prep may be on a Wednesday. Yep. Which is so weird to me because yeah. food prep day is Sunday. Yeah, it is. Should uh, be. It is. Yep. That's that's what Sunday is. Yeah. Um, but it's you've just got to make the most of your time. And for me, the biggest challenge will be to step away from social media. Yeah. Uh, it is a complete waste of my time. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I care so much about other people's lives. Yeah. 
that I don't even know. Yeah. Um, well, and so... Brian, number two, uh, him and I had the discussion. He said, there's an on-running theme in my podcast of being anti-cell phone, anti-social media. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Brian, number two. Well, and so what he said is he went to a flip phone. Um, so he went old school and, uh, Andy and I have been having this conversation and I feel like I'm getting closer and closer and closer to that. Sure. Um, you know, obviously hard where you're running a business where, you know, being, um, out in front of people on social media and things are now the, the really the only way to grow as a business for the most part. Right. Um, but, uh, but I definitely think that that's one of those things where, you can carve out a significant chunk of time um, for that. So I think it's really interesting. So first of all, I think it's so awesome that, and it motivates me for young people because so many people out there are like, oh, you know, millennials, they're lazy and they don't care and blah, blah, blah. It's so refreshing to see that that's just completely bullshit, right? See what you're taking on and why you're taking it on and see you smile and look forward to the challenge and the adversity that this is going to provide because you know that you're going to be able to make a meaningful difference from it. And it's one of those things where the the biggest thing that kind of kept me going when I was going through some dark nights and long hours at the tomb that were very, very similar, right? So, right. you know, 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. the next day and, um, you know, and then you have eight hours on your off days and then you're right back into it again. Um, and so, uh, but I think the biggest thing is it's like, there were so many people that weren't even willing to volunteer for this, right? right? And so that chunks out 99% of the people. And then of the 1% of people who did decide they want to do this, 99% of them were not able to deal with this specific schedule, this specific adversity. Um, And, but those who can make it through, it's just going to make you so much stronger, more successful, um, you know, whatever term you want to put on it, it's going to be a fulfilling endeavor. And when I look back, I think that's, this is always the thing I always tell people. It's like, when you look back on things, pain isn't real, right? It's like, you look back and you think like, oh my gosh, you know, I shattered my leg. And it's like, you just like laugh about it. It's like, yeah, you know, I I think it hurt. I can't really remember the pain. Um, But, you know, you think about, it's kind of the same thing with schedules. Like, I just remember being so busy, but I don't think about any of that when I think back of the tomb. I just right. think about how awesome, like, and for you, the analogy would just be like, you're just going to remember the specific patients that, you know, when you thought like, oh my God, I am so, I don't have an ounce left in me to give. Mm-hmm. And then you made a meaningful difference in somebody's life. And it's right. like, I think that's what's so cool about it is, you know, you get, sometimes you'd get down at the tomb, you get so drugged down um, and you'd be so tired and you'd be on 70 hours without sleep and all this different stuff. But then, you know, I'd go up to lay a wreath and the wreath lane would be with a family who just buried their son and right. you would see how much it means to them. And you'd get this little bit of like a, God, like I'm just, I'm actually just so lucky to be, you know, in your case, smart and capable and willing to take this on and, you know, have the body and the mind to be able to pull this off. And, um, I just think it's so cool. I think it's so admirable, um, that, you know, you're, you're going to take this endeavor on and, um, you know, I know us as a community, it's like, we have tons of people who are so supportive and it's like, you know, if you're like 
you know, use, if you are going to use social media, use it for putting out like, Hey, 9 PM workout in the garage. Like who wants to come? Um, (laughs) or, or just, you know, texting me like, Hey, I need a five minute workout. What would you do? Right. So, um, you know, I think that that's like everybody, if you're willing to ask for help and it's one of humans biggest plights is they don't ask for help when they need it. So don't be afraid to reach out to the community. Don't be afraid to reach out for help right. um, because so many people are going to be so supportive of kind of you and what you're doing. And I think it's, uh, you know, JC and I have had the the pleasure, the I, we've had the ability lately to have some really in-depth conversations. And, you know, I know he's going into something similar, but over in Pittsburgh. Right. So he will have almost an identical internship. Okay. Uh, and then he will do uh, three specific years of radiology training. Okay, yep, yep. Um, and so, uh, you know, but I think for him, it's it's easy to look at that schedule and just start kind of thinking like, oh, shit, like, I mean, four years is a long time. Um, and And start kind of thinking about kind of what you're doing and is it right? And, you know, we talked a little bit about that off microphone or off, off the record, I guess you would say, about... Um, you know, how natural it is to kind of start second guessing yourself when things start to get tough. Um, but kind of how the people who do make it through that, like that, that makes you who you are. Like that challenge is something that you'll, you'll only be stronger for. Um, awesome. All right. So we've talked, we've covered a lot of ground, um, and talked a lot about, uh, you know, some serious stuff and, uh, now we're going to get into some more fun stuff. So, you are arguably our biggest drink connoisseur, right? <laughs> you love O2s. You love constantly drinking things out of a can, I feel I like. Do, I do. So I want to run down some of your top lists here because oh, I feel man. like some of the, the hierarchies changed a little bit recently. It absolutely has. All right. So break down for me. Give me, I want top two or three beers. You said Jackie O's is big. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then maybe top two or three, you know, sports, uh, non-alcoholic drinks. Non-alcoholic. So, yep. uh, now, when you say top two or three beers, are we talking type of beer or specific, specific beer? That's um, a big difference. Yeah, uh, you could go, you could go wherever you want. So let's go, uh, so let's start more general. What type of beer would okay. be your favorite? So my absolute favorite type of beer is a sour beer. Okay. Not just like a, oh, this is kind of tart, like Warhead style beer. Okay. So what comes to mind when you say that? Like what beer is it specifically that you would order that would like fulfill that need more than most? Oh gosh. If I could order any beer at all right now, it would be a... This is so nerdy. I'm sorry. This is... It would be a 2011... It would be a 2011 Funky South Paw from Jackie O's. Wow. And so what it is, it's a, <clears throat> it's a pawpaw wheat yep. ale that has been given the the bacteria to sour. Okay. And that is actually what Zach proposed over. <laughs> nice. I love it. That's so cool. So do can you even get your hands on a 2011? Is that something they do with beer? Uh, I would not <clears throat> I would not be surprised if Jackie O's has a few in their basement. Yeah. Zach and I have one left. Oh, wow. And we don't know if we'll ever drink it. I feel like so. Hannah and Justin's wedding did something kind of cool, which I'd never heard before. But I feel like if you guys ever go through a really tough night, like in your marriage, mm-hmm. and you're really struggling to the point where you're like, we might fucking get divorced. Like, this is maybe it. You should crack that beer open and then Absolutely. just sit and have a talk over it. I think that'd be really <laughs> cool. Um, but 
Okay, so um, so I've I've seen some of the the pawpaw written on yeah. some things, so maybe I'll I'll give that a shot sometime. Um, okay, so let's transition now to because that was unbelievably specific. I'm very I'm very <laughs> proud of you. Um, so let's talk now about sports drinks. Okay. All right. So let's talk about. Um, so let's just say normal morning. What's your go to routine? So I would say for the majority of medical school, I was a black tea girl. Okay. Uh, anymore, I am super happy with the formula. I buy it. Zach and I debate over my addiction to formula over to O2. Yeah. I probably drink two a day. Okay. One when I wake up and one while I'm working out. Okay. And that is absolutely my go-to. And so you used to be an orange girl, I and did. now I see you with the grapefruit ginger. I, yeah. Where are we at with that? Uh, you know, I don't know what happened. Yeah. I really don't. I think there was one day where you guys didn't have the orange. Yeah. And I was forced to drink this. Yeah. And now I can't go back. I'll tell you what, it's, it's, we have had the most challenging time. It's the only drink, it's the only thing that we sell where we really can't anticipate what people are going to buy at all. We used to sit on like, we had six cases of orange for like forever. Really? And we couldn't get rid of it. Nobody would buy it. And then like out of nowhere, it was like two weeks later and all the orange was gone. And you were still not around, so it wasn't you. Um, and so, and all the orange was gone, and and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, so we need to order more orange, and so we reordered orange. And at this time, grapefruit was selling like five to one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we ordered more orange, and then we crushed through the whole stack of orange again. And all of a sudden, it was like now orange is hotter than grapefruit, and so it's been all all over the place. So. I am all in on the grapefruit. I don't. I don't even fuck with the orange. I go all grapefruit. I always have. So it's it's probably my favorite. Have you tried any of the others? Have you tried any of the like RX Fit Aid? Oh yeah. Okay. I've tried all of them. Yeah. I, I hate them all. Yeah. Absolutely. Nice. Zach will drink them, uh, and he's kind of gravitated towards those RX Fit Aids. The RX Fit Aids are very popular. They kind of taste like a blue sweet tart to me. No, I, yeah. I I don't get that. Yeah. I like blue sweet tarts. Do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's it's a it's definitely a, a different taste, different flavor, but um, but especially once you kind of figure out like this is my go-to, this is what I mm-hmm. like. Tell me about the other one now, because this is like the new fad that I want to talk about. So this one, and uh, Zach makes fun of me incessantly for this. I drink probably eight Lacroix a day, and I only drink the mango one. So, so between two O twos and eight grapefruit Lacroix, do you ever drink water? So yeah, I okay. actually drink a dedicated uh, about one hundred and twenty-eight to one hundred and fifty ounces of actual water a day. Wow! So I'm just constantly peeing. You, I was gonna say, you are like unbelievably hydrated. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. So, all right. So these Lacroix. So it's funny you say that Zach makes fun of you because I do honestly feel like this is where it goes. Women love LaCroix, <laughs> and I'm going to say Maria, you, and Kristen Christman mm-hmm. love them. And there's a ton of other people do, oh, that yeah. do also. But I know for a fact that all three of your husbands also really make fun of you for drinking them. <laughs> it's like kind of the like this like on-running joke I have with it is you drink these LaCroix, right? Which is what LaCroix. kind of all like the joking males will make fun of you for drinking. Um, and like none of us really get it because it's like slightly flavored, slightly carbonated water. And yet you guys just are like 
fiends. You like chug oh, yeah. them. Oh, it's yeah. unbelievable to me. Um, the best back to social media. The best meme I ever saw is Lacroix is like drinking sparkling water while someone in another room is yelling the name of a fruit. Yeah, and it's like you have to almost like convince yourself right. that like it tastes that way. I, I have no idea if this tastes like mango. I just really enjoy the fizz. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. It's really funny and. The thing that's, uh, it's always funny for me because like as a small business owner, like you always have this thing in the back of your mind where it's like you're always looking at businesses or mm -hmm. products or things as like, uh, I wonder how they make that work or God, I can't believe like that's just, <laughs> and that's the one for me where I'm like, they are just killing it right now. Oh, absolutely. And it's like you walk into Whole Foods and it's like front and center, this gigantic mountain of them and they're what? They're like eight bucks for a 12 pack or something like that so whole foods is great okay i recently had to transition to whole foods yeah so if you buy three eight packs yeah at kroger when they're on sale it's 10 bucks okay and so i went to whole foods and because kroger was out of my flavor okay i don't know how they dared to do that yeah. but um fuckers dicks uh whole foods sells them in 12 packs which i didn't know oh and if you buy two 12 packs, that counts as a case, so you get a discount. Oh. So I bought three 12 packs for less than $9. Oh, okay. So they're only like three bucks for a 12 pack. Yeah. In that case. Right. If you buy them in bulk. Okay. So that's not too bad. No. That's like, that's bordering on bottled water. Okay. All right. I thought they were more expensive than that. Now the formula, that's a little more pricey. Yeah. Formula's <laughs> a little more pricey, but... Um, you know, my hope, I think uh, the cool part about O2, so for those of you guys who don't know, so Dave is local Columbus guy. Right. So actually our mattress upstairs from where we're sitting right now is Dave's mattress. Stop. Yeah. And so, um, so he put out like on Facebook one day, um, you know, Hey, I'm moving. I have this new mattress. I've only slept in it for like a month. Um, and it's a king and it's huge nice. and like, we can't get it out of our house. If you can come and get it, like I'll give it to you for, I think it's like 300 bucks. And so Maria and I were desperately needed to upgrade from a queen and for those of you guys who are listening and if you haven't gone and made that leap like first thing you need to do like we go and buy oh you have to it's it's like <laughs> absolutely like the greatest thing in the world that i can like extend my arms almost fully <laughs> and not like crush maria's face um so i think that's uh that's like my side tangent but anyway um you know he's really grown it now and he's in a bunch of different states he's doing really mm -hmm. well on amazon and I think that they are still trying to kind of continue to grow. One of my favorite stories about Dave is last year we go to regionals. And uh, do you go to regionals last year? Not last year. Okay. No. Uh, so regionals down in Nashville last year. And if you guys have never been to regionals, like it's like these vendors mm -hmm. ha like orgasm over it. Like they come in and they're like, I'm going to. I'm going to set up these, these awesome booths and I'm going to sell all these products and I'm going to have all these deals. And you know, it's just like, I'm going to be all in your face and then I'm going to pay athletes to wear my shirts and then to be at my booth and to do all these different things. It's this big kind of like coming out party for like right. newer products. Right. right? And you know, uh, Zevia is there, which is kind of like a LaCroix and they're trying all these different flavors. I know. Yeah, I know. It's not LaCroix. I get it. Zevia, um, no. And so, <laughs> Um, and so it's, and there's all, there's like, these people are doing these regional specials and all these different things. And Dave rolls up to me and I see him and I'm like, Hey dude, what's up? I'm like, do you guys have a booth here? He goes, Oh no, I don't do any of that shit. <laughs> just like, I'm like, all right, so what are you doing? He goes, I, you know, I didn't have anything to do. So I just kind of drove down here just in for the day. You guys getting into anything after this? You guys want to like go out to the bars or something? I'm like, 
I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure what the team's going to do. Uh, you know, at the time we had like, we had a team and Jenny and I were kind of coaching. So like we wanted to make sure we were taking right. care of them. And I'm like, we don't really have any plans. He's like, all right, cool. Hit me up. Maybe we can meet up later. And he's just like this, like, he wasn't there for business. I don't even think he was wearing a Formula O2 shirt. He was just there. He's just there to watch and support regionals and just hang out with some people inside of the community. And I just thought it was like, I was like, man, that's so funny to me because like, I think he's really figured, he's stuck to two flavors. I love simplicity, yeah. right? He's stuck to two flavors. He's only updated the can, I think, twice now. Yeah. Um, and he just, you know, very simple, very limited marketing. You know, he, he builds good relationships inside the CrossFit community, um, stays a CrossFitter inside and around the Columbus area. I just think it's a really cool product, one that I enjoy supporting. So, um, so it's cool. I'm glad, glad that you like it. Um, all right. Awesome. So I don't think we have anything else. We're just a hair over now. We're not too bad. Right. So last time we were, we were 90 minutes. So maybe Mitchell will listen to the whole thing now. Oh, okay. So all right. 90 minutes may be too long. All right. So Mitchell's call out is right here at one hour <laughs> and 43 seconds, probably a little bit more than that. If, when I do the intro, so we'll tell Mitchell that he has to come up to you and say shenanigans if he listened to the whole thing. And all nobody right. nobody clue him in on this, right? No. And uh, if he doesn't do it, then we'll all think less of him. So <laughs> I love it. All right, perfect. Thanks, Sarah.